You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. This morning, Genesis 26, and uh, in verse 12 is where we're going to start. Last time we were in Genesis we saw how Isaac followed his father's footsteps and, uh, when he was faced with a famine. If you remember, they both failed to trust God. Abraham went down to Egypt. Isaac fled toward Egypt. Um, along the way, they both lied about their wives. They both had beautiful wives. And Abraham lied and said, it's my sister to save himself. And Isaac did the same thing. He said, Rebecca's my sister to protect himself. And like father, like son was the message we looked at a couple weeks ago. Deja vu all over again. It's like the same story twice in God's word. But we come down to the end of that episode here with Isaac being confronted by the Philistine king, Abimelech. And God blesses Isaac in incredible ways after his failure. Which, by the way, uh, God doesn't look at your past when he's determining how much he wants to bless you. If you'll respond to your failure and just get back to work, God will bless you. And, and he doesn't limit our blessing based on our past, and I'm thankful for that. This room is full of people with a past, and yet God has given us lives that are blessed spiritually. And he can do the same thing for you this morning. So the blessings begin for Isaac in verse 12. And I'd like to begin reading there as we stand together, as we honor God's word. Let's, let's read beginning in verse 12. We'll go down through verse 25 this morning. Um, and uh, we'll read through these verses here and then look at a truth that I hope will help us today. It says in verse 12, Then Isaac sowed in that land and received in the same year an hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him. And the man waxed great and went forward and grew until he became very great, for he had possession of flocks and possession of herds and great store of servants and the Philistines envied him. For all the wells which his father's servants had digged in the days of Abraham, his father, the Philistines had stopped them and filled them with earth. And Abimelech said unto Isaac, Go from us, for thou art much mightier than we. And Isaac departed thence and pitched his tent in the valley of Gerar and dwelt there. And Isaac digged again the wells of water, which they had digged in the days of Abraham his father. For the Philistines had stopped them after the death of Abraham. And he called their names after the names by which his father had called them. And Isaac's servants digged in the valley and found there a well of springing water. And the herdmen of Gerar did strive with Isaac's herdmen, saying, The, the water is ours. And he called the name of the well Esek because they strove with him. And they digged another well and strove for that also. And he called the name of it Sitna. And he removed from thence and digged another well. And for that they strove not. And he called the name of it Rehoboth. And he said, for now the Lord hath made room for us. And we shall be fruitful in the land. And he went up from thence to Beersheba. And the Lord appeared unto him the same night and said, I am the God of Abraham, thy servant. Fear not, for I am with thee and will bless thee and multiply thy seed for my servant Abraham's sake. And he built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there 
and there Isaac's servants digged a well. Now, this is a strange story. What are, what are we supposed to get from this? Well, I mean, Isaac liked to dig, apparently. There's, a, there's not a lot of positive, honestly, there's not a lot of positive attention given to Isaac in Scripture. And as I said last time, someone said he's the mediocre son of a great father and the mediocre father of a great son. But, but I, what I see here in Genesis 26 is Isaac doing all he can. And, and not just, um, you know, in his response to his failure, but his, his effort to sow, his effort to dig and dig new wells. There's an important lesson to be learned here in the Christian life and that sometimes it's no more complex than this. Just keep digging. Just keep digging. We have people that throw in the towel the first time it gets hard. But sometimes you just have to decide, I'm going to keep digging. And you're, you're trying to do what's right. There's opposition and there's opponents at every turn. And we just, too, too many of us, turn tail and run. And they miss out on what God could have done if you'd have just kept digging. Let's pray and ask God to bless our time together. Father, we love you. We need you. We pray that you bless the reading of your word. I pray that you give me clarity in my own mind and heart. And that you'd bless this, our time together, not for my sake, but for your glory. Help your people to be responsive to your truth. And as we heard in Sunday school, God, what, how am I supposed to live in response to this truth? Help us to ask that question of ourselves this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Isaac was experiencing a season of great blessings. We already read about it in verses 12 through 14 that God was blessing him. He, it says that he in the same year received a hundredfold of his sowing. And, and, and I hope you understand how supernatural this blessing was. This wasn't supposed to be happening like this. There was a famine in the land, first of all. And Isaac also had major failure. Uh, and these two things combined, you think, well, God's not going to bless a guy like him. He's a failure, he's messed up, um, it's a famine, and yet we see when God intervenes and God steps in, he can bless you in, in spite of your circumstances and in spite of your past. And I'm thankful for that truth, truth. I'd like to just focus on that, but we're going to move forward. But just understand, God's blessings aren't limited by our past or circumstances. And then we come down to verse 15, and there's a conflict though. The Philistines had grown threatened by, by Isaac's power and prosperity. It says, for all the wells, it says at the end of verse 14, um, the Philistines envied him for all the wells which his father's servants had digged. In the days of Abraham, his father, the Philistines had stopped them and filled them with earth. They were so threatened by Isaac and his power and his prosperity that they filled the wells that Abraham had dug now, here's another principle here as we go through. When God is blessing, expect there to be opposition. When God is doing something in your life, expect that there will be those that don't want to see God's blessings. Uh, expect that there will be times that God's blessings are being fought against by the opposition. The Philistines assumed that the, the wells were, were the keys to Isaac's success, by the way. So they filled the wells in. And, and back in, the, in that time, digging a well was significant. Not only was it significant because you needed the water to sustain your flocks and sustain your people and your herds, but, but also if you dug a well, that was like staking a claim to that piece of property. And it's like saying, this is my property. And, and so by Isaac having wells, 
that his father Abraham had dug and he had gone and dug them again. By him claiming those wells, he was claiming ownership to the land in the land of the Philistines. And the Philistines did not like that. And they were so intent on getting rid of Isaac that they would rather close up a well than keep him around. Now, mind you, this is the wilderness. This is, the, this is dry and arid land. And, and water was not easy to come by. It shows you how threatened the Philistines were by Isaac. These wells represented much work and many years of, of nourishment and provision from God. They'd sustained Abraham and his family for years, these wells had. So to watch them simply be filled back up, you know that had to be discouraging for Isaac. You know he had to be thinking about this well and how this well sustained his family and sustained his father. And his father had dug this well and to watch them be filled in would maybe like watching a childhood memory get bulldozed. And that's kind of what Isaac is facing. And here's where we see the enemy's tactic. The enemy wanted to separate Isaac from that which had sustained Isaac. They wanted to remove him from that which was providing for Isaac. They wanted Isaac to think he couldn't survive without the wells. And by the way, that's still the enemy's tactic. Is that Satan wants to remove you from the things that spiritually sustain you. He wants to create separation in your life from the things that you need. And that's why sometimes you get up in the morning to read your Bible and something pops up on your phone that distracts you and keeps you from reading your Bible. I, I do believe that's the enemy's way of keeping you from the things that spiritually sustain you. That's why a flat tire never happens except on Sunday mornings. You say, well, that's just coincidence. I, don't, I, I mean, it may be, but I also believe the enemy's at work. And he's trying to get you to, to get involved in things that separate you from the things which will spiritually sustain you. He'll give you excuses not to be at church. He'll give you things that come up and, and, are, and are conflicting with, with time in God's house or time with your family or time in God's word. That's what the enemy does. He wants to, to separate you from those things that spiritually sustain you. Don't think you're not a target. If, if you can be separated from God's word or God's house or God's people or a vibrant walk with God, Satan knows that's your most vulnerable position. So what did Isaac do? Well, he really had two options. He could throw in the towel, get discouraged, and think God's forsaken him and just walk away from it all. And that's what too many Christians do when it gets hard. Or where he could keep digging. You see, we must keep digging in spite of opposition. In verse 17, it says, And Isaac departed thence and pitched his tent in the valley of Gerar and dwelt there. So he moves on from where he was to a valley. And Isaac digged again the wells of water which they had digged in the days of Abraham his father. For the Philistines had stopped them after the death of Abraham. And he called their names after the names by which his father had called them. So he, he, you see a pattern here start to, start to take place in Isaac's life. He digs or he redigs a well that his father had dug and he enjoys the provision for a while. But then the Philistines find out about it. They come out against him and then he has to choose between escalating the conflict and getting in a fight with the Philistines or moving on. So he moves on. And I'm not saying right or wrong. I'm just saying his tactic was I'm going to live above the fray. 
I'm not going to get caught up. I'm going to just assume that these circumstances are moving me to a new place to dig the well. So he does the same thing again. He digs a well. There's opposition. He defers. He moves on. That's the pattern. He digs a well. There's opposition. He moves on. He digs a well. There's opposition. He moves on. And, it ta- and take note, it happens over and over. But one thing I want to notice while we're looking at this is that Isaac pursued the old wells. See, we live in a culture that says if it's old, it's inferior. We live in a culture that says it, 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 that's all about novelty. Everything's, everybody's out to find the next new big thing. iPhone releases a new phone and we think, well, I've got to trade mine in because mine is a year old. Even though you'll never use every feature on the new iPhone. Well, yeah, but you have you seen the camera? You say, but the camera three phones ago was really good. I mean, I'm not sure why you need that, that a camera that good or more space, but that's how we live. We think we've got to have the next new big thing. And the same thing goes with our spiritual lives in that churches spend so much time and effort and energy getting rid of anything that represents the past that they forget it's been working for a long time. And in hymns, I'm just thinking about our hymnal as we're singing, Great is Thy Faithfulness. It never crossed my mind once this morning that I said, well, you know, this is kind of an old song and it's not really relevant anymore. You know, those, the hymns have been discarded largely, but I, I would submit to you that the hymns we've used in churches for generations have reinforced doctrinal teaching as much as anything else. And there's richness and depth that you often don't find in modern church music. And listen, I'm not saying that new is bad. Okay, and somebody might take what I'm saying out of context. That's not what I'm saying. Uh, the song that Stephen and Lizette sang this morning, so much to thank, so much to thank him for. Um, it's it's not on the music there, but I'm imagining that song is probably. 40, 30, 40 years old, maybe, maybe less than that. It's not that old. And we didn't sit here thinking, well, it's a new song, so we can't have it in our services. No, there are new songs that are written that are valid. I mean, the first filter is always, is it doctrinally accurate and is there depth to it? Those are the first things we look at. And if there is and there's a good person behind it in the writing, and we're not just going to discard it because it's new, but we also don't just discard it because it's old. We don't look at an old well and think, well, this is my dad's well. So, you know, I need something new and I need something different. No, Isaac was willing to dig the old wells. And he just kept digging. And he kept digging in spite of the opposition. And he kept digging in spite of the fact that the wells had already been dug before. Now, in verse 18 and 19, he goes from one place to the next. And he goes to a new place in verse 19. And it says, Isaac's servant digged in the valley and found there a well of springing water. I mean, this is a, that's a great truth there. It seems like there's a rarity there, that there's a spring of water in this well. And that would have been something in the wilderness that you would have loved to have found. A well of springing water in the wilderness? I mean, that's a blessing. Things are looking up, except verse 20. And the herdmen of Gerar did strive with, it, with Isaac's herdmen, saying, the water is ours. So he called the name of the well Esek, because they strove with him. And Esek means contention. Verse 21. Same thing. They did another well and strove for that also. And he called the name of it uh, Sitna. And Sitna means strife. Digs a well. Opposition moves along. Digs a well. Opposition moves along. Listen, I just want to take note, though, that he kept digging. He didn't just throw in the towel. Don't forget that part. Here's another point here. Even though Isaac 
didn't discard the old wells, he also didn't assume they were the only way God could provide. See, I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to say the old is not valuable. I mean, he, he, was, he was willing to try new places. He was willing to go to new places. Listen, this is not, a, this is not me trying to say we're going to try new places in philosophy of ministry. It's not what this is talking about. This is Isaac not just thinking that, it, well, it, it, was, it was good enough for my father, so it's good enough for me. I'll just stay right here. No, he wanted, he needed water so badly that he was willing to take steps of faith to try to find it. Because we, we find that he didn't just try to redig his father's wells. He was willing to go someplace new. He, he dug and redug and gave it his best. But very soon he discovered something we all need to learn. And that digging isn't about the wells, it's about the water. Digging is not just about the wells. It's about the water. See, what I mean is that Isaac could dig and redig wells all day long, but what he really needed was God to provide water. See, a well is, is simply a vessel through which God's blessing of water comes. And in the wilderness, you can dig wells all the time and not find water. Uh, in Oklahoma, where we came from, we had good friends who, who bought property and they intended to, to build a, a camp and they built their home on it. And they were trying to find good water. And they were just trying to serve the Lord. And yet they couldn't find good water. And they dug a well and that well didn't work. They dug another well and that well didn't work. And you can, sometimes you can dig wells. And, and it's fine if, you, if you're digging wells. But if you don't find water, the point of the well is, the, the well is useless. The, it's not about the well. It's about the water. It's about the provision of God. And, and a well is great, but it's more about water than a well. And what it comes down to was that was Isaac trusting that God would provide. And sure, his father's wells were a blessing. But Isaac's survival was dependent on God's provision. Not just his father's wells. I'm, trying to, I'm thankful that Isaac tried to utilize Abraham's wells. And I think the young generation... Should, should look at that example and say, I'm not opposed to it just because my dad did it. I'm not opposed to it just because the older generation did it. But there has to become a transition in our lives. And there's one taking place in Isaac. I mean, at first it was like he was saying, I must dig where my father dug. I must dig where my father dug. And that's, a, by the way, that's good balance. That's good protection. It's wise. Those wells were proven. But the point was survival. And after so much opposition, it became clear that Isaac was going to have to forge his own path. Yeah. See, the Philistines, they kept showing up. And as much as he probably wanted to use his father's wells, he was going to have to step out of the shadow and dig a new well for himself at some point. Yeah. And that's exactly what happened. Look at verse 22. It says, and he removed from thence and digged another well. And for that they strove not. And he called the name of it Rehoboth. And he said, for now the Lord hath made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. The implication here is that Isaac finally got to a place where there was no opposition. He went to a place on his way back toward the promised land that became his well. And he called it Rehoboth, which means roominess, open space. And I'm thankful that he found a spot where there was no opposition. There was plenty of room for him to keep digging. And this time he dug his own well. 
Because he'd come to the point, and I want you to get it here. This is the transition that I really want you to get. And I know as a speaker, you're not doing it very well if you have to say, this is the transition, okay? But here it is, because I want you to get it. He'd come to the point that he learned following God is not about wells, it's about the water. It's not about the hole in the ground, it's about God providing the resources to sustain you. So I'm saying this morning, don't just dig wells, because that creates hypocrites, if all we're doing is out digging wells and we're, we're, we're just doing what, what's always been done, but we don't tap into the water, then all we are doing is going through the motions, religious exercise, and look for water. Don't just dig wells. Some of us need to learn this lesson, though. Some of us, some of you, some of us need to learn to keep digging for ourselves. And, and I, I don't know the best way to illustrate this. This is probably pretty obvious. And, and you probably could have predicted it. But this is, this is the best illustration I could think of. Is a shovel. And this shovel reflects the fact that I have children. Which means they've left it outside far too many nights in the rain. And now it's rusted. But you know there are far too many young people. And second generation Christians and maybe even old Christians living off somebody else's well. Amen. And those with Christian parents, and I've seen this many times in life, that the young people raised by godly parents who are simply riding the coattails of their parents. Yeah. And the first sign of opposition or pressure, or when they turn 18 and not, there's not somebody watching them at every turn now, and they're out. Because in their own life, they never kicked off the spiritual training wheels. And they never had a walk with God on their own. And they never dug a well for themselves. They relied on their parents and their parents' walk with God. And their parents' standards, as we heard in men's prayer meeting this morning from Brother Stephen about standards, it was great. But listen, if a standard is just a well for you and you haven't tapped into the water of God's resources for your life, then it's just outward. And when church problems come, if you have the mentality that you're just kind of drinking from somebody else's well, as soon as church problems come, then you're out. You don't withstand the pressure. And if trials in life come and, and you don't withstand the pressure, you get angry at God because you haven't dug your own wells. And life gets busy and you get you've got no time for it. And I'm looking at the teenagers because I have a heart for teenagers. And I've got three of them sitting in this section. And I want them to get this this morning. They must dig their own wells, but not for a well's sake, but to find the water of life. That it's your resource. It's your walk with God. It's your relationship with God. Instead of just relying on somebody else, because as soon as pressure comes... You'll be gone. What you don't realize is that you say, but it's hard. But what you don't realize is it's been hard for everybody. Listen, it's hard for anybody. You might look around the room today and you think, well, they have it all together. And it's easy for them. But listen, at some point they were right where you are. And they'd just been saved or they were just trying to decide if they're going to stand for God or not. Or they're just trying to figure out if, if, they're, if they're the God of their father is going to be their God. We've got too many young Christians too, not just teenagers, but young Christians or people that have been saved for a shorter amount of time or maybe even, God forbid, saved for a while but just haven't grown. 
and you're riding on the coattails of somebody else. And you're kind of standing next to a well and the overflow of that well is what sustains you. And you're drinking from somebody else's well and you've never really dug a well for yourself. Too many young Christians start off strong but when it gets hard, instead of just deciding I'm going to keep digging, they throw the shovel down. And they say, I, I mean, I'm not ready to, to, for this. I didn't realize discipleship was this kind of commitment. But let me just remind you, the original disciples were all martyred except for John. And it's, not an easy, it's not easy to follow Christ. It's not, it's not a walk in the park. And I think this generation needs to hear that it's going to require some work. It's going to take some effort. And too many young Christians fail to realize that what more mature Christians enjoy uh, has come from work. Yeah. It's come from digging. It's come from deciding that I'm going to stick it out. Right. I mean, you look around a building like this and, and a church like this and you think, well, you know, Eastside has it easy. I mean, look what they get to enjoy. There's a building like this. And Brother, Brother Pinnell, Scott Pinnell's in the back back here and he's starting a church over on the west side, and I'm thankful for Brother Pinnell and looking forward to what God does. Sioux Falls needs to, be, needs to be reached with the gospel. You know, he might be looking at a building like this and say, well, they have it, I mean, they have it easy and they got it all together. I'm not saying he would. That might be the contention in somebody's mind. You know, go over there and say, well, Eastside has it all together, but, but at one point Eastside was just like it, Brother Scott. Meeting in somebody's living room. Maybe not even in a building yet. And just a handful of people and plenty of Sundays. Whereas just the pastor and his family. You know, it took work and effort and somebody just had to say, I'm going to keep digging. I'm going to stick it out. Brother Ruckman started a church up in uh, South, northern South Dakota and, in Hoven. And, and, and God blessed that work, but there were probably plenty of Sundays where it was the Ruckman family. And he had to decide, I'm just going to keep digging. And I'm not going to throw in the towel just because it gets hard. Because I've never been promised it'll ever be easy. Every Christian has to dig their own wells. Start walking with God on your own. Kick off the spiritual training wills. And start growing and start maturing And for yourself. Have you dug your own wells? Or are you riding the coattails of someone else's overflow? At first it didn't seem like Isaac had the fortitude to stand against the pressure. But I'm thankful for his example because it teaches us this. It means that you don't have to be the world's most mature or confident Christian to dig a well. Here's what you have to do if you're going to dig a well. You don't have to have any special skill. You know what you have to do? You just have to dig. You say, but I don't have knowledge and I don't have experience and I'm not a mature Christian and I, I just got saved and I don't even know the books of the Bible yet. I'll teach you this song. It's not hard, okay? We can learn it. But I'm just starting out, and it's hard. And I, yes, it is hard. But you know, that's all that's required for you to enjoy the benefits of a well is that you just have to decide, I'm going to keep on digging. Yeah. And the first time it gets hard, I'm not going to throw in the towel. The first time it gets hard, I'm not going to run away because this wasn't a life of ease. It's never been promised, and there will be op opposition. But if you don't dig your own well, what's going to happen to you when the people you lean on are no longer around? Teenager, if your spiritual life is dependent on your parents telling you what to do every step of the way, what, what happens to you the first time that you face opposition by yourself? Yeah. Yeah, that you don't have to wait, you don't have to wait till a grown-up 
is around to walk with God. You can walk with God by yourself. And in case you didn't know it, the Bible's full of young people who decided, I'm going to walk with God. If you don't believe it's true, ask King David as a young man. And ask Daniel and Joseph and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego and Jesus in the temple as a 12-year-old. Christian, have you developed a relationship with God of your own? Because someday you're going to face pressure, pressure to walk or, walk or at work maybe to compromise your positions. And what happens if you don't have your own well dug? You're going to face temptation um, online to sin. And if nobody's watching and you don't have your own well, where are you going to, hit, where are you going to end up? Pressure to, with old friends to give in. To what you used to do. If you don't have your own well and your own walk with God, where are you going to end up? Or pressure from the opposition telling you that your faith isn't real and God's not real. Listen, if you don't dig your own wells, if you're drinking out of the abundance of someone else's overflow, you're not going to survive the pressure. You won't survive as a Christian until you start digging your own wells. Your own walk with God, your own spiritual life. Think about young parents in the room. And we've got a lot of we got a lot of young parents, or we got parent, or young people who've been married, and their parents were both in church, and and they're deciding how committed they're going to be, because they saw a mom and a dad who every Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night were right where they were supposed to be. But what those children don't remember is when their parents were young, they had to go through the process of deciding how committed are we going to be. And all the kids remember is Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, choir, everything else. I mean, all the time. That's all you remember. But you don't remember then the, when those parents were deciding. And you have to decide. It's time for you to decide if this is a well you're going to dig or you're just going to keep enjoying the benefits of the overflow. But let me just remind you that whoever you're, 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 it's overflowing from in your life isn't going to be around all the time. And someday they're off the scene, and what happens then? You know, it's interesting. In some ways, Isaac got to experience more than Abraham. In verse 19, it says they found that well of springing of running water. It was a spring. You know, too many second-generation Christians assume God only wants for them what God did for their parents. You know, this is interesting. Just say, don't limit yourself to our faith. Don't assume that God can't do something in your life just because he never did it for the generation that you're following. It could be that God has a well of springing water waiting for the young generation in here to do something special and unique and new. And you may say, remember that building over at 6101 East 49th that Eastside used to meet in? I mean, we've got a building that's even bigger than that because we couldn't fit all the people that started coming. Listen, you don't have to say that, that your faith is limited to the generation before you. I mean, your level of faith could far surpass ours. And it should. I hope it does. Honestly, what I want more for my children is not that they come up to my standard and stop, but that they have faith far beyond what I ever had. They have a walk with God uh, beyond what I have. I'd love it if if their faith surpasses ours. Don't assume that God just wants to do for you what he did for your parents. Don't limit God to the old wells. He wants to do something new for you. The interesting part of this story is that the opposition is what drove Isaac back to the promised land. The opposition led him back 
to where God wanted him to be. And when he finally got to where God wanted him to be, that's where he settled. Listen, let me just remind you that opposition is hard. But opposition drives you to the source of water. Look at verse 23. And he went up from thence to Beersheba. That's back in the promised land. And the Lord appeared unto him the same night and said, I am the God of Abraham thy father. Fear not, for I am with thee and will bless thee and multiply thy seed for my servant Abraham's sake. It's not till he got back to the promised land that God reconfirmed the oath with him, the, the covenant that he was going to make, that he'd already made with Abraham. And he built it, verse 25, he built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there. And there Isaac's servants digged a well. You know, this is interesting. These closing verses here of this section sound remarkably like Abraham, don't they? See, what we see is the opposition was driving Isaac back to the promised land. And, but, but even bigger than that, we see Isaac for the first time. He'd been digging wells the whole time. But now we see that he's building an altar. See, a well represents God's provision. It's a good thing. We need him to survive. But the more you dig wells and the more you enjoy God's provision, you eventually grow to the place that it's not just about his provision. And that's not the most important thing. What really becomes more important than his provision is his presence in your life. Amen. See, Isaac dug wells his whole life. But it wasn't until this point that we find him building altars. And at some point it clicked with him that God's presence was more important than God's provision. And growing up as a kid, listen, I remember some of my best memories are Christmas morning and birthdays. Because on those two days of the year, I felt like it was all about me. And I was getting presents and I was getting to enjoy these things and, you know, getting birthday presents and Christmas presents. And what kid doesn't love that? I mean, the only thing that surpasses that is candy of any kind. Okay, so... So I remember those days, those are the days I really look back on like, man, that was, those were good days as, kid, as a kid. But you know what, the older I get, I couldn't care less what my parents can give me now. Yeah. You know what matters the most to me with my parents? Time. Yeah. If I can just spend some time, it's a gift. And they're not, they're, I mean, and they're getting older. They're not too old. I mean, they're, they're still getting around and they're doing really good. They're good, they're good and healthy. But I know that my time with them is limited in some ways. And I don't care if my dad leaves me a dime. I just want to spend time. I don't care if they get me anything else ever again my whole life. I mean, my mom still sends birthday cards and gift cards and Usually it's Texas Roadhouse or something like that, and I'm happy about that. But honestly, I'd rather go to Texas Roadhouse with them and pay for their meal than get a gift card from them. Amen. And actually, I did that just this last week, actually. <laughs> See, the truth is, you grow to a point where you're digging wells and you're enjoying the provision and, and you're growing and God's providing and, and it's yours and you're thankful for it. And you finally get to a place where it's not just about what God provides, it's about who God is. And you go from digging wells to building altars. And, and then it's really more about who God is in your life, who he is to you, than what he can do for you. 
And that's honestly the greatest reward of, of a keep digging mindset. Because it eventually takes you to the place where you and God are like this. I remember when we were building a house in Oklahoma, we, were, we, we were, had to get a water line to, we had property and so we put a, we had the county put a meter in. We didn't dig, end up digging a well. We got a county meter. But to get from the meter where they were willing to put the meter to our house was about a quarter mile. It's like, that's a problem. So said, well, easy. We'll solve this. We'll rent a trencher. And we'll just dig a trench and we'll put the water line together and we'll connect it and we'll get water to the house down there. Easy enough. Except the day I rented the trencher was the hottest day of the summer in Oklahoma. And it was about 112 degrees. And where we were putting the water line, of course, there's no shade. You're not doing that around trees. You're just doing it along the driveway. No shade. And I thought what I thought was going to be easy, be an easy job, ended up taking about 12 hours. Because everywhere, I mean, every few feet we hit more rock. We hit more rock. And more than once, we messed the trencher up, hitting a rock. We had to call them. They had to come fix it. We're out in the, in the sun, just melting. My father-in-law was with us, and he just about had heat. He may have had heat stroke. I'm not sure. I just said, pour some water on it and get back to work. <laughs> not really. I, no, no, not really. Not my father-in-law. Okay. I respect him more than that, if you're listening. You know, it was a hard day. And a few times, I, I was lightheaded. Yeah, it was hard. And yet, in the end, I'm thinking, but we can't settle here if I don't get water. If, I don't, if this doesn't happen, we can't really use the house like we wanted to. I mean, we could, but we're not, my wife was not at that point willing to, do, to go to those lengths. You know, the end of, of, of what we were working for made the digging worth it. The reward, the prize at the end... The reward made the digging worth it. Worth it. Every, every single time I dug an, another, uh, another shovel full of dirt, I was thinking, okay, but it'll be worth it in the end. And I dug again, and it's hard, and there's opposition, and it's hot. The trencher's breaking again. My father-in-law just passed out. Opposition, opposition. And yet, in the end, the prize made the digging worth it. And what we see here in Isaac's life, and by the way, at the end of this passage, he moves into Beersheba and he digs a well there. And the same day that he makes peace with Abimelech and those guys, his servants come and they say, we found water. And they dug a new well and they call it Sheba, Beersheba, the name, it means well of the oath or well of promise. And you eventually get to the place after you've dug long enough and hard enough and you've just been willing to put in the effort and the time and trust that God will provide, you eventually get to the place that you have the promise. You get the blessing. Amen. You enjoy the peace that comes knowing God and being close to God. But it takes some time and it takes some effort. And there will be opposition. And you're going to have to dig a well for yourself. But I'm telling you, the prize at the end is worth the digging. So to every child of God, I say today, just keep digging. Just keep on digging. No matter how hard it gets, no matter how long the days, 
no matter how hot the sun, just keep digging. I'm asking you today, do you, have, do you need to dig your own well? Are you at a place spiritually where you're just hanging on to somebody else's overflow? It's time to walk with God for yourself. Just keep digging. Are you facing opposition in your Christian life? You're like, this is way harder than I thought it was going to be. Well, the enemy wants to separate you from God's provision. Don't let it happen. I just say, just keep digging. Have you been so focused on wells that you failed to build altars? See, God's more than a prayer dispenser. He's a person. And it says something about your maturity when you get to the place where you're more concerned about who he is than what he can do for you. And the wells are important, but it's really more about the living water that Jesus talked about in John 4. I read it in my Bible this morning. Jesus comes to Jacob's well. A Samaritan woman comes and they meet there, a divine appointment. She offers a drink and he says, you know, if you, if you knew who I was, if you knew the one that you were speaking to, you'd be asking me. He said, because more than just the water that you can get out of this well, I'm the living water. And if you would come to the end of yourself in your sin, you could have water that the well, in a well that never runs out. And there's some here this morning, I know it, you've come this morning and you're looking for maybe thinking, if I can just dig a well. These people look happy, some of them, they look happy. And they, they have wells, so I'm going to dig a well. No, it's not about the well, it's about the water. Amen. It's about the living water that is Jesus Christ. It's about your relationship with him. And listen, if you'll come to him this morning and say, I'm a sinner and I know my sin has condemned me and separated me from God. And without God's help, if I die in my sin, I will be destined to, to spend eternity separated from God in hell. That is my destiny if I was to die today. But God commendeth his love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In your place on a cross, Jesus opened his arms and shed his blood for your sins. And yes, you may have brought your sins in with you. And maybe you, you came today looking to build a well. And God says, no, there's living water available. Amen. Water that will sustain you beyond what you ever thought. And all you have to do, the Bible says, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you in your sin will say, my sin is taking me nowhere. I look to Jesus Christ and his payment. I accept that payment for my sin and receive him as my savior. You can walk away today, not with a well, but with the water. Yeah. And that is available to every single person that's under the sound of my voice right now. Salvation, the living water. You can leave knowing that you're a child of God. You may go through seasons of hard digging. God's provision is worth it. It may not be as easy as you thought, but God's presence is the prize worth having. And you may even dig some dry wells along the way, but your own walk with God for yourself is worth the effort. Knowing Christ is worth it. So however difficult it is in this moment, just keep digging. The toil today is worth the reward tomorrow let's stand together every head bowed every eye closed
I'm just going to ask a couple questions and then we'll have the verse of invitation. If you're here today and you know 100% for sure that if you died today that you would be on your way to heaven, you know for sure that you're saved, you know that, you have, that you've placed your faith in Christ and Christ alone, would you just real quickly, no one looking around, would you just quickly raise your hand? Looking around the room, almost every hand is raised. I'm thankful for that. You can put your hands down. Is there anyone here today who said, I came in here today thinking I needed a well, but what I really need is living water. What I really need today is I need Jesus Christ in my life. And I don't know if I died today that I would spend eternity in heaven. And I don't want the alternative. So I don't know for 100% for sure if I died today that I'd spend eternity in heaven with God. If that's your testimony, would you just very simply, would you raise your hand and say, I don't know. I'm looking around the room. Anybody that would raise your hand and say, I don't know 100% today. Looking around the room and just seeing if there's anybody. If the Lord's worked on your heart, you just real quickly, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to point you out. Just looking around the room. So by your testimony today, every person in this room says, I have a testimony that I've placed my faith in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. And if that's the case, that I want to say to you this morning, have you dug your own well? Do you have a walk with God? Is it your walk? Is it your well? Have you, have you put in the effort and time? Have you decided, I want to walk with God for myself? I'm tired of walking in somebody else's shadow and leaning on, and, on their, in their, their coattails and drinking from their abundance. I want my own walk with God. And maybe God's spoken to you about that. If that's the case, would you just raise your hand this morning that you need your walk with God to be stronger? Anybody in this room today see hands that work? Yes, all over the room. Are you facing opposition in your Christian life and you're wondering right now if it's worth keep digging? I don't know. Okay, see somebody, thank you. See the hand there. I'm facing opposition, I'm not sure. I see the hand there, thank you. Uh, have you been so focused on wells that you failed to build altars? And that you haven't really established a walk with God, today's the day. Father, you've spoken to hearts and you've worked in our lives. Would you please, Lord, help us to respond accordingly. Help us to ask ourselves the question, knowing this truth, how do you, God, how do you want me to live? What steps do you want me to take? Lord, help us to be submissive to your spirit. If there's anyone here not saved, help them to have courage to step out. And for those that you've worked in their lives about the other things, would you give us the courage to step out and make a decision this morning? Have your will and way today in Jesus' name. Amen. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.